Welcome to the Turning Point Podcast. I am your host, Marita Spada. If you're already a fan of the podcast, thank you for your support and welcome back. If you're new to the podcast, I speak with top creators and entrepreneurs as we discuss business, creativity, mental health, and how those may interconnect with each other. Do you feel like it's time to start that side hustle your friends and family are tired of hearing you talk about? Are you thinking it's time for you to take control of your career? Then I would stick around for this episode. My guest today is Nick Loper. Nick used to have a corporate job, the typical Monday to Friday from nine to five. Now he's the founder of the Side Hustle Nation and the host of the Side Hustle Show. Nick has been featured in the New York Times Entrepreneur and has done a tech talk on the entrepreneurial generation. We deep dive into what it's like to create a side hustle and how to be successful. He shares real life experiences and tips on how to kick off your side hustle and eventually create it into a full-time gig. You can learn more about Nick and his work by visiting sidehustlenation.com. But before we begin the show, if you are enjoying the podcast, I would really appreciate it if you would follow, subscribe, share it with a friend, and maybe even leave a rating and a review. It would mean the world to me. And now, my interview with Nick. Hi, Nick. Thank you so much for being part of the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for the invite. Happy to be here. So I wanted to kick off the episode just learning a little bit more about uh, yourself and your journey. And specifically, um, did you always have this entrepreneur spirit when you were a kid? Or there's something that you kind of realized later? Uh, yes and no. So I was, I mean, I was the kid who was trying to like sell candy at summer camp and sell baseball cards at the end of the driveway. Uh, the candy thing was more successful than the baseball card thing. Cause my friends were equally broke. It wasn't a great business model, but that kind of took a little bit of a backseat through, you know, years of education where you're trained to get good grades so you can get a good job. And that's what I ended up doing. But I actually was really grateful to have kind of been bitten uh, with the entrepreneurial bug a little bit harder in college through this uh, house painting internship. I don't know if they have them uh, where you're at, but there's several of these outfits. The one that I was working for was called College Works Painting. And their their basic uh, operation is to assign you a zip code, assign you a territory and say, all right, you know, here's how to bid a job. Uh, go see if you could sell something. And so it was like knocking door to door and be like, all right, let's get excited. Let's, let's do some house painting bids. Um, but it was really cool, uh, both at the end of the week to look back and say, hey, look at the transformation that we made. And at the end of the summer to say, hey, we did this 20, 25 times. We ran a pretty, pretty good sized operation here. Awesome. And so at the time, um, going back into your journey, You've been working in corporate companies, not in a, in a while now, you've been working in corporate companies for many years. And at some point, something just hit you and you decided to just move on from that and create a side hustle. Or did you have the side hustle while you were in the corporate company trying to balance both things at the same time? Yeah, the side hustle was pretty much there from day one in corporate. So after graduation, I did what you're supposed to do. I got a real job and moved across the country and it was new and exciting and all that stuff. But I had almost no desire to climb the corporate ladder and, you know, be a full-time employee for somebody else. I always, it was always in the back of my head uh, that I wanted to be doing my own thing. I just didn't really know what 
that was going to be. And I think a lot of people are in that same boat. Uh, for me, my escape path was a footwear comparison shopping site, totally random. Like I'm not a sneakerhead or anything, but had interned with a company in Seattle that um, had a, a brick and mortar shoe store. And back in the early days of the internet had this wild and crazy idea, like, well, what if we put some of our inventory up online and see what happens? So by the time I came on as their lowly uh, marketing intern, that was my first uh, exposure to online business and e-commerce and affiliate marketing and SEO and pay-per-click advertising and all that stuff. So that gave me a, an inside look at the lens of what um, of what some of their affiliates were doing. And so my idea was, okay, if I could bring in the catalogs of not just this store, but of all the stores and tell you where you can find the best price on your next pair of shoes, that might be a valuable service. People might click on that. And sure enough, they did. And it was spent spent three years, my first three years of, of corporate life, trying to build that up nights and weekends. And ultimately, I uh, handed in my resignation, turned in the keys to my company car and have been on my own ever since. That's amazing. I do like that you're saying like you're not a sneakerhead, but you came up with something that if you were a sneakerhead, you were fixing a gap probably in something that they needed when you came up with the idea. Maybe so. Although like all the really hot, <laughs> like the really hard to get ones are sold out instantly. So it would be, there wouldn't be any inventory really to compare anyways, but it was, um, it was an interesting niche and it was a niche that had um, relatively high profit margins, if that makes sense, or relatively high commission percentages uh, is probably a better way to phrase it for a physical product where they would pay 10, 15, 20% in some cases for, for a new customer. And I was like, well, this is, you know, if you're selling a hundred dollar pair of shoes, it's $20 commission, still very much a volume game, but is definitely better than sending traffic. Um, like today you send traffic to Amazon for yep. 4%. So a little bit of a different ball game. I was going to ask you, and this is the question that I've been kind of like thinking all, all day prior to the interview. Um, I think there's a lot of people that want to venture out and pick up some, a side hustle and, and not necessarily like driving for Uber or Lyft, like their own side hustle, Yeah. but they're struggling to figure out like, what, what can I do or what can I offer? Um, and I think a lot of the times that uncertainty might come from you have a skill set and you don't really know that your skill set is something that maybe other people don't have or that you can offer other people. So I think I think it comes from that um, notion of like maybe not feeling secure that maybe this is something that I can monetize because people need it. But also the other part, I think, comes from people not knowing which, where to start or what side hustle to to embark on. Um, yeah. What do you think about about that? We will get back to our conversation in just a moment. But before we do, I wanted to give you all a few quick reminders. If you would like to view more free content relating to creativity, business, and mental clarity, and how can this help you as a creative and entrepreneur, visit maritaspara.com. I have an entire section with free resources that can help you along the way with planners and my monthly newsletter, The Mindful Minute. This episode is sponsored by Skillshare. Skillshare is a platform where you can learn anything from photography, cooking, to design. It's a place to go leverage an existing skill or learn a new one. If you sign up with my link, you can receive two premium weeks free. All the links are in the description of the episode. With that said, back to the show. Yeah, I have been in that same boat myself and still kind of am in a lot of ways. I don't know, that sounds kind of 
insecure, but it's called, there's a formal name for it. It's called the curse of knowledge, where we tend to diminish or otherwise minimize the skills and expertise that we already have. And for the reason, it's hard to imagine, once you know something, it's hard to imagine not knowing it. And so you kind of take it for granted. Um, What you can do is, you know, make an exercise of this and you could have a sheet of paper, make it like three columns. So let's do the three column version. So column number one is your list of skills, your inventory of what you know how to do, whether or not you are an expert at that or whether or not you're like, you know, world-class 99th percentile. It's like, do you know how to do it? You can look at your resume, for example, like, Hey, any job that you had in the past, like somebody thought that was a skill worth paying for. Right. Uh, so there's your list of skills and anything I should add, anything you've uh, learned to do outside of work as well, which for me, that part of the list would be way longer at this point. Like all of the online business stuff, the podcasting related stuff, all, you know, anything that you've learned to do in your free time, I would mark that down as well. And if you were uh, still struggling, you know, I recommend maybe set a timer for this four or five minutes, just, you know, so you have a little bit of a deadline, but you could start to think if I were to ask my friends or family, what am I good at? What am I maybe better than average at? What do people come to me for help with? It might help kind of jog your, uh, jog your thinking a little bit there. In column number two is where I kind of want you to put down, what are you interested in? What do you like to do outside of work? What would you do for free? How would you spend your time? It's kind of like the hobbies uh, section of this uh, exercise. And I I think the word passion uh, has a lot of pressure attached to it. Like, what are you passionate about? Like, I, I don't know. There's a lot of things that I like, but I don't know. So um, if you have a passion, awesome. You can put it in that column, but don't feel any pressure to, uh, to, fill, to fill that in. The third column, and what you're trying to do here is trying to find potential intersections or potential overlap, maybe um, if you're imagining kind of a Venn diagram version of this. In in the third column, I want you to think of who you know, and maybe more accurately, like the types of people that you know. Do you know uh, restaurant owners? Do you know people who work at car dealerships? Do you know photographers? Do you know designers? Like, and the only reason for that is for potential conversation starters. Like what's you know, what, what pain are you experiencing in your day-to-day operations? Like what, what's going on? Because it's a potential foot in the door and that's it. Like, cause you can start, you know, with, with no network at all through different marketplaces and everything, but um, the network element and, and maybe, you know, not just who, you know, but who they know, maybe if you don't try and take it out one degree, thinking about your network's network. Um, and I'm looking for intersections and overlaps in here where, yeah, there there might be uh, an idea to explore. That is a really good point. And I think a lot of people struggle too with, at least from conversations that I had, trying to find a side hustle because they do have a hobby, but then they're like, I don't want my hobby to become my side hustle because I might not enjoy it the same. Yes. And now all of a sudden you ruined your hobby by trying to turn it into a business. <laughs> I hear that a lot. And, and, when people ask me a lot about podcasting, I'm like, I didn't get into podcasting because I love podcasting. I love what comes with that, which is meeting the people, having those great interviews and just making a brand through the podcast. But when I sit down and edit an episode or I, you know, I'd rather hire someone to do that because I'm not particularly fond of the editing process, but I like what comes through the process of podcasting. So I try to I'm not an expert in side hustle, but I try to advise people and like try to look at it on that 
point of view. I don't know if you if you agree with what I'm trying to to get out. You know, I think that is a perfect example of, you know, starting something around your passion. It's like, well, start something that you're interested in and the passion will likely follow. Like I had zero passion for podcasting when I started almost by definition, I couldn't have because I had never done it before. Like I didn't know what I was getting into. Um, I think there's some research from Dan Pink and from uh, Cal Newport to support this that, you know, don't start a business around your passion. Nobody cares about your passion. I actually had a guest on the podcast who was like, under no circumstance, will you start a business around your passion? If you're passionate about it, other people probably are too. And if other people are, they they behave irrationally. Like they, they do stuff like work for free. That's not a business I want to play. And I was like, okay, no, no passion <laughs> businesses. Got it. Um, but, you know, back to the Dan Pink and Cal Newport stuff, they found that the passion tends to come from doing the work. Now, seven and a half years later, very much passionate about podcasting. It's become part of my life, part of my identity, and it's something that I've developed a deep interest in. But from day day one, day zero, like it didn't it didn't exist just because I I didn't know any better. Yep, I agree with that. Um, talking about side hustles a little bit more, there's a lot of people that start them, and there's a lot of people that find success in them and are able to just take that and make it into a career and a full-time job. And they're able to leave whatever else they were doing that maybe they were not really like passionate to just go on that note um, about. Um, why do you think there's maybe like a disconnect with people that might start a side hustle and find success and others that might start it and not find success? Do you think it's a combination maybe of motivation and discipline? Or do you think that maybe they didn't have the network? Like I just, I usually think, are you allotting time properly to make your side hustle successful? But are you also making time to grow your network? That's an interesting one. Um, where I see people having, I, I'll, re, I'll start over, where the people that I've interviewed who seem to have the most success are the ones who were willing to kind of step off the edge, not really knowing how deep that ravine was going to go, or maybe maybe we'll reverse that metaphor, like <laughs> climbing the mountain, like they'll take that first step, not really, maybe the, the top of the peak is, you know, still shrouded in the clouds and stuff where a lot of people who I see kind of stuck on the sidelines are you know, they want to see the whole path. They want to see it completely laid out in front of them. And it may not be knowable from the very early days. It's this willingness to take that first step, to experiment, to fail, to start something. Uh, and it truthfully almost doesn't matter what it is. Um, just because, uh, because opportunities become visible once you're in motion. It's a conversation that you might have with someone that sparks something else. I was working on a failed website project of mine that sparked an idea for uh, a site that I sold recently for a low, a low six-figure sum that I ran for years and years and years. It is just, you know, you just never know where these ideas are going to come from, but they're much more, they come much more frequently and they're a little bit better uh, if, if you can uh, get yourself to take those first few steps. The other thing that worries me a little bit is like, you know, yes, niche down, you know, you know, find your target market, all that stuff. But there, I was reading, um, Robert Iger was like the CEO of, of Disney for the last couple of decades, almost, uh, his book was really good. And yep. he talked about some advice that he received early on was like, never get into the business of selling trombone oil. It's like, sure, there are people that need it, but 
you know, how many, how many, maybe the world goes through two quarts of it a year or something, you know, it's like, okay, so make sure it's a big enough market that could, it, it could reasonably meet your goals. And so I'm all for niching down. I think you might be surprised how big some of these niches can be, but still like, you know, if it's so, so micro, you might have a harder time finding your people, finding your customers. Yeah. And I think there's a video that Tim Ferriss did on if you should be more of a general person or a specialist. And he's like, neither kind of like the middle, like make yourself so good at something, but surround that particular thing into other things. So like if you're a lawyer, but you love to do public speaking and maybe you have a podcast, you've kind of like specialized in something, but you're branching out to other things where you can grow that brand and that uh, net worth as well. So okay. I kind of see where, where, where that point of view uh, is coming with, with regards um, with your side hustle or your full-time job at this point. Um, what made you think as a side hustle, I want to talk about side hustles or as a side hustle, I want to help other people. <laughs> um, how did that, um, cause it's really interesting. I don't know when you started it and we can go into the details, but I'm, I bet that when you started talking about this side hustles weren't as big a thing as they are right now. Yeah, they definitely have, you know, I've been a beneficiary of the rise in popularity of the term for sure. So I won't say, you know, I will not profess to be a, a genius that I saw any of that coming or anything. In fact, my dad was like, uh, you know, the recession is ending. Uh, employment is looking good. Like, why do you want to go into this market? It seems like it's just a downhill slope. Like, I don't know, it's just something that I, you know, I went through and asked myself the same types of questions. Like, what do you never get tired of talking about? What are you really excited about? What do you want to be known for when people Google you? Um, what are you a relative expert in? What do people come to you for advice? Because at that time I was running the shoe business full-time, quit my job, had done this thing, was living the full-time entrepreneurial life and kind of hoped and planned and anticipated that that was going to be the thing. Yet on the side started several different projects, most of which kind of died a quiet death in some dark corner of the internet, but a couple lived on and Side Hustle Nation was one of them as a very part-time project on the side from the shoe business that I was running. And, and it was just very much, um, let, me, uh, let me start blogging about this stuff because I care about it. I think it's important. Let me start uh, trying to source interviews from people who've done some cool stuff and we'll see what kind of life it takes on. And we'll see if you, if you don't like doing it, you can always stop because you got this other thing to fall back on. And I think it's the same thing uh, for people starting a side hustle from their day job. Hopefully you're not in that position where you need to make rent next month and you've got a little bit uh, of runway financially to, to give it some time, see if it works, see if it's something that you enjoy doing. And that's exactly what I found. I was like, this stuff is, this is way more fun than selling shoes. So let's figure out how to make that into a business. It took a long time to figure out what that was going to look like but really was really grateful. I'm really grateful today to, to have it be the main focus. What do you think the, the future of Site Hustle Nation is? What, what are you looking to do with it as, as time progresses? I still love doing the podcast. I had no idea when I started that I would end up doing 400 and something episodes. And I have no immediate plans to stop doing that. It's like, well, how long do you keep doing it? It's kind of like, that's a question my wife and I have been, been talking about, um, but it's still, it's still fun. And as long as it continues to be fun, I will continue producing the show. Um, the blog side of it has been an interesting, I feel like 
almost a new discovery in the past few years, um, learning and getting better at SEO and affiliate marketing and, and studying specifically some from some friends in the in the FinCon space or in the personal finance space. It's it's almost a different audience in a lot of ways where the podcast listener is uh, very entrepreneurial as uh, they're in it for the long haul and they're like kind of along for this journey. The blog reader for uh, in most cases is very transactional. Like they arrive at the site from uh, from Google in most cases, like from for some specific random search query, they find the site. They spend you know their three minutes skimming the bullet points of this post. Maybe they click on a couple links, and they're kind of off you know uh, on their way. This has been very interesting to try and serve both those uh, both those audiences, but intentionally build up the the email list and hopefully the community with podcast listeners. Cause like, that's, that's who I want to talk to. Those are my people. That's like who I want to hang out with. Uh, when, when meetups hopefully become a thing again, that was some of the most rewarding uh, stuff that I ever got to do was meeting with listeners in person and, and really look forward to being able to do that again, hopefully in the not too distant future. Yeah, I agree. I don't, I can't even remember the last meetup I went to. So that's how far away this all <laughs> seems. Um, I guess uh, the, been, the million dollars a year. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, yeah, it's, it's crazy. And I know we're trying to leverage zoom to do all of these things, but they're, they're not the same. It's not the same as seeing someone in person. Like maybe the memory of that person, when you met them in the meetup, just stays fresh and you see them somewhere else and you're able to connect. Like, I don't think in zoom, you're going to get that same kind of feeling. Right. So, yeah. so we're doing, we're doing the best we can with what we have for now. Um, if someone is trying to like wrap up, if someone's trying to like start this on their own, if someone has the idea and everything, um, what do you think the next steps or, or tips and tricks that you could advise people? Like, because usually people are like, I have an idea, I'm going to go buy a domain um, or I am going to see like if I need to start a blog or a podcast to leverage my idea. Um, how do you think people should brainstorm to bring this idea of, of the ground? If you will. Yes, uh, nothing wrong with registering a domain. In fact, you know, if if you have a a name available that you really like, absolutely lock it in um, before anybody else can. You know, the the digital real estate rush is uh, is very competitive, so uh, definitely lock that in. I don't know that I would spend a ton of time developing this, you know, beautiful looking website and all of that stuff uh, prior to proving out your concept in some way in, in, and hopefully in the form of somebody paying you, like, can you go out and get a customer? It's easiest to do in a product or service-based business where you can, uh, especially on the freelancing or service-based side, like, do you have a problem that I can solve? Okay, great. Here's what I'm going to charge you and, and done. And now you have validation and now you can build up your website and your online booking system and your content marketing strategy, all that stuff. But until you have somebody paying you, it's like, uh, it makes me a little bit nervous because I see people, I had a note, and this was thankfully a few years ago, but it was like, uh, my website is almost done. I you know, hired this developer, it was like $30,000 or something. It's been nine what? months and this website is almost done. And I'm like, uh, do you have a customer? Like, uh, you know, first of all, your website is probably almost never done. Like it's a, it's a living document, it's a work in progress. But that made, that made me really stressful or really, really stressed out for that person. So 
uh, if you can go validate it first and same thing on the product side, can you pre-sell it? Like, Hey, if it's a, if it's something of your own invention, here's a prototype, do you want one? I'll go make it. Is it a digital product? Could you pre-sell it? Um, lots of different ways uh, to get that done. And if you're just playing the long haul content game, podcasting, YouTube, blogging, love it. Uh, love it, but just be aware that it is going to be a, a long haul. That's really good advice. Cause I think usually like, like I was mentioning, we, People tend to buy the domain, spend a lot in, I'm going to hire someone that does marketing, someone that can build the website, someone that can do all of this. And like you said, $30,000, $40,000 down the line, if someone's willing to, to invest that, but you still don't have a customer. You even haven't tested the, the idea to see if you can even make any money out of it. Um, and usually by the time you sometimes come up with an idea, there's someone already selling something similar, whether it is a service or a product. Um, and maybe you're just out there trying to fill in those gaps to make it even better. I give this example all the time, but it, it's it's pretty old, but it's very relevant to this day. When Facebook, uh, when Mark Zuckerberg made Facebook, there was uh, MySpace and Friendster, and he just yep. filled in the gaps and made uh, just a better social media platform. So it's never too late, but I believe you, you at least to, to test things rather than just start investing right up front. That's right. That's probably actually a, good sign that there's some competition in the space, that there are other people attempting to do what you've done or what you plan to do rather. Um, because if you're going into pure uncharted territory, it's like, uh, then, it, then then that's when the validation becomes really, really important uh, just because you never, you never know. But same thing, like if you look around, you know, how many dry cleaners are in your town, how many sushi restaurants are in your town, like it's not necessarily the most innovative, uh, never before seen business ideas, just like, how can we serve a different customer base? How do we do it slightly different, slightly better? Lots of different ways to compete. That's right. I couldn't agree with that more. Um, this has been great conversations, just um, the value that people are going to get from just listening to someone who actually did it themselves, who actually teaches other people uh, through uh, blogging and TED Talks and whatnot on basically what you've learned. I think it's of great value. Um, I really appreciate you being here. And I like to kind of wrap up the episode by asking just fun questions, something for people to actually kind of see the person without the business, just the real human being we're listening to. Um, and those questions are, if you would have, if you could have dinner um, with anyone from history, who would that be and why? It could be anyone from history. It's just fun questions Anyone here. from history, the... You know, actually, the person who comes to mind um, lately is actually my grandfather, who I I don't know, never was that close with, never had like a real deep conversation. And, and really the inspiration for that answer is I just listened to this, you know, I think five episode long uh, marathon on World War II in the Pacific uh, from Dan Carlin and Hardcore History. And I know he served in the South Pacific during the war and he would have been like 23 or something. Like he, he was a young, wow. a young kid sent to fight in this war. And just um, obviously he, he was lucky enough to live through it. So I don't know, you know, what, in what capacity he did serve. And like, I just, I would love to sit down and figure out what was your role? Like, what was it like being shipped off, you know, thousands and thousands of miles away? I know very little about, his life. And I think, um, it would be cool to, to be able to, to see what, what life was like. 
That's a, I, I love that answer. That's a really good answer. I, I think, I, I think relationships with, with grandparents are, um, are so sweet because some of, some of us get to know them and some of us, you know, by the time we're born, they, they might've passed away and we get to learn f- about their life through other people. And then by the time you become an adult that you feel like, you know, I would have loved to ask him or her A, B and C, um, they're not with us. So it's like, it's kind of like you learn yeah. more about them because it happens with me. I, you know, I, I love my, my grandfather. He passed away when, when I was in my early twenties, but now as I'm getting older, I know that he did so many things that I'm interested in now that would have been great to have a chance to talk to him about it. Yeah. And he built his own business and apparently was pretty successful. Like all the, you know, there's the, there's the wartime stuff and the, you know, what was life like in the thirties and forties. And then there's like, how did you, how did you build this thing? You know, it seems like a pretty substantial operation. So there's the entrepreneurial side too. Yeah. That's where, where you get it from then the family. <laughs> <laughs> Friends in the family skips a generation. Um, what show, documentary, uh, movie, or book um, have you? You know, we're in COVID times, so we're we're doing a lot of this at home. Have you read lately that that you feel like you would recommend to someone? Just you know, binge watch a show if if you're doing that. Um, we haven't been binging on a ton of shows, um, but one one book that I just read recently, which was really cool. And my wife thinks I'm the biggest nerd in the world. Um, it was called Undaunted Courage. And it was the, it was the story of the Lewis and Clark adventure. And it was, again, fascinating. What was life like 220 years ago as they're embarking into this uncharted territory, unknown wilderness and having to basically hunt for all their food and the diseases and crazy stuff that was going on on this expedition. And I'm thinking about this, like almost every morning as I'm doing my workout and like the guys on this expedition, they probably were in way better shape than me. They never done a burpee in their life. They're, you know, Oh, we had to haul this elk, you know, five miles back to camp, or we had to lug these canoes over this waterfall. It's just, it was a fascinating uh, story of the planning and the preparation and just the miraculousness that they made it to the to the west coast and made it back it was it was a cool story seems like an interesting read i'm gonna have to check that one out seems like you're a history buff but you love uh reading and learning about kind of like everything that happened before we were here like born yeah, i mean <laughs> it, it's really fun i don't know i get a kick out of it the other one i read last year was on the wright brothers which you know they side note is they they did their whole flying business as a side hustle to the bike shop they were running which i thought was so cool and how they approached everything so methodically with just this engineers tinkerers mindset like oh you know ber- birds can fly why can't humans fly like we ought to be able to figure this out like so they built a glider and then they made a slightly better version of the glider and then they added a little motor to it and it was just kind of this you know iterative process which i think had a lot of parallels to to running a business those are very interesting I really like that. I really, I'm not a history buff in the sense like I don't read too much about it, but there's stories like the ones that you're sharing that really get me interested. It can really like, I think they spark your creativity somehow because you're talking about someone who probably had less resources than us. Now we have the internet, we have so many things. Um, why aren't we taking advantage of it, right? Yeah, it definitely makes you grateful for everything that you have and having uh, the grocery store around the corner and not having to, uh, you know, go hungry or eat a horse or something, you know, crazy stuff that was going on on the uh, <laughs> Lewis and Clark trail. 
Well, thank you so much, Nick. I really appreciated you being part of the podcast today. Before we close, I do want to give you the space um, to share anything that you would like, where people can find you, where people can learn more about you, anything else that you would like to share. Uh, you bet. Well, thanks for having me first. Um, it was really, you know, this was a lot of fun and grateful to always hang out. Um, the Side Hustle Show, of course, we'd love to have you tune in. It's available in any podcast app that's out there. If you are looking for your side hustle idea, there's tons of ideas uh, in the archives of the show, of course, but there's also a ton more at sidehustlenation.com slash ideas. There's no opt-in required over there. This is just my constantly updated uh, laundry list that, uh, you know, hopefully by the time you scroll down to the bottom, you got eight or 10 different browser tabs open, uh, trying to learn more about, uh, about the ones that appeal to you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Nick has so many different blog posts, but one piece of data that he shared in one of his blog posts was that 45% of Americans report having a side hustle. That amounts to roughly 70 million people. Ultimately, the reasons why people have side hustles can vary, but it's been interesting to see those numbers grow from now to maybe 10 years ago. Side hustles make us feel like we are in control of our destiny. I have mixed feelings with the word hustle, as it's usually tied to feeling a bit burned out, if you will. But with side hustles, we are able to build our brand or what we want our legacy to be. And by legacy, I mean what people can learn about you if they were to ever Google you. If you have been thinking whether or not to start your side hustle, why not? What do you have to lose? Research, build, and learn. But for now, peace out and see you next time.